0: This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. You are listening to This is Joy and Claire. And today we are joined by Gabby Uyoa, who is a Cuban American journalist and mental health advocate. She is also the co-host of the upcoming Thoughts May Vary podcast, which is launching in June 2021. And that podcast illuminates stories and lessons about personal development and mental health. Previously, she was the assistant to the editor-in-chief at Architectural Digest, where she spent two years assisting Amy Astley and writing for the magazine. You can find her words in publications such as the New York Times, Birdie, Architectural Digest, and more. Gabby, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So I just read your, you know, little boilerplate bio, which is so great to kind of catch everybody up from the basics. But Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background.
1: Yeah. So like like it says in my bio, I'm Cuban American. So both of my parents are Cuban immigrants. I always really start with that because I feel like it's such a large part of my identity. I grew up also in Miami, which there I didn't even think about the fact that I was Cuban or that I was Latin just because it was everywhere around me. And it was really when I went off to school, um, to college in GW, George Washington University in DC, where I was like, oh, wow, my my Latin identity is so deeply ingrained into who I I am. So yes, I always lead with that. I'm very proud to be Latina and to be part of that community. Um, I'm also a journalist. So like you mentioned, I started my career at Architectural Digest. And it's funny when I say I started my career, that that's when I started my career post-college. But working has always been something that I've done since I was very young. My mom never let my sister and I have summers off. We were always working at summer camp or volunteering or doing something. And throughout college, I was taking summer internships every summer and I was working in the fashion space and in the magazine space. I always knew I wanted to work in magazines and that was always the goal for me. So once I graduated from school in 2018, I moved directly to New York and basically started freelancing and applying to everywhere that I could find. And that's when a couple months later, I ended up getting the job at Architectural Digest to assist Amy Astley. And I really fell into design by accident because for me, the goal was Connie Nast. And for those listening who don't know, Connie Nast Is a big publishing house who owns all the magazines that I'm sure you read from Vogue, Teen Vogue to Glamour, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, obviously Architectural Digest. So that's where I wanted to be. That's sort of the big place to be. And I basically was going to take any job that I could get. And I'm definitely that mentality of like, I'm here to learn. I'm here to work. Just throw me in and I'll do it. And when I was interviewing for jobs, I was interviewing for a bunch of like closet positions, which for people that don't know, it literally is what it sounds. You're in a closet, whether it's like a beauty closet or a fashion closet, just organizing whatever is in said closet. And I was like, yep, this is my way in. And around that time, um, the job to be Amy's assistant came up and Amy Astley, um, if you are not aware, she founded Teen Vogue, is a Condé Nass veteran, and she had been at AD at the time for about three and a half years. And I was like, you know, I don't know anything about design. I feel like I just found my footing in fashion, but let me try this because I want to work for her. It was all about her. I just, I wanted to learn from her and what a great opportunity to be able at 22 years old to learn directly from someone like that. So yeah, that's how I got my my start at AD. And while I was there, I was assisting her, which was obviously a full-time job. And um, luckily, because she's such a wonderful boss and really enjoys mentoring her assistants, she really made sure to have me know that she wanted me to grow. So right off the bat, she was like, what are your interests? What do you want to do aside from being my assistant? And I told her that writing was what I wanted to do. So those opportunities then slowly started presenting themselves. And throughout those two years of assisting her, I was also writing for the publication, uh, both for the site and for the actual print magazine, which was such a great experience. And then um, fast forward... October 2020, we're in the thick of the pandemic, I decided it was time to go. And I ended up resigning. And I've been freelance ever since. And throughout that whole process, I guess I'll just squeeze in. I uh, started Should We Talk About It, which is a mental health IGTV show. And that I started in May of 2020. So I was still working at AD. And like everybody else, mental health was kind of at the forefront of my mind throughout the pandemic. And it's been something that's always been deeply important to me, but it wasn't really until I started writing in that space, I had basically written as a favor pretty much to a friend of mine who has a blog um, that covers mental health. And I wrote for them And I'd gotten the call to do it right before the pandemic hit, but it wasn't published until we were, it was, I think it came out in March of 2020. So like right in the beginning. And that was sort of my aha career moment of like, this is the conversation I need to be having. I've always searched for intersections in what I do, especially in like the style and design and fashion space. Those things can sometimes just feel really trivial. And so I've always tried to connect it, whether it's, you know, fashion and politics or design and culture and how they sort of all influence each other and mental health and beauty and, and so on. So that was really when it clicked for me of like this is the conversation I need to be having. Um and from there everything all sort of snowballed. And that's where the podcast is later born. But yeah, once I sort of clicked of like this is the path I need to go on, the decision to leave fell into place. And then that's sort of how I've been, you know, freelancing for the magazines that I've been freelancing for now. So while I still work for eight and or not work for them full-time but while I still freelance for them um, a lot of the other the new work that I'm doing with places like Birdie it's a lot more focused on mental health and and lifestyle and wellness and I could ramble about it forever
0: <laughs> so <laughs> you know? as you as you were describing that I was just imagining like sort of a devil wears Prada scene of walking <laughs> in and being like you have to actually have an interest in fashion like but I am interested um, in architecture <laughs> yeah
1: I mean it's so funny. Whenever I talk about Connie Nast, like that's the first question I always get is like, "How Devil Wears Prada is it?" And I mean, honestly, like as a whole, it's pretty accurate. I got lucky, <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie, but I did get very, very lucky in that my boss was, I think, one of the only editor in chiefs at the time there who she's she's really one of a kind and truly just like is such an incredible person and a great boss and really really loves to mentor her assistants. So I just got lucky in that that you. Did not get paired up with Meryl Streep. Right. But did have to interact with, you know, the other, the other, other editor in chiefs, the big one that we all know, you know, <laughs> with my boss. And, you know, it's, it's funny, like all the assistants, we all just became friends with each other because I was just like, you get it. You know, we're, we're all, we're on a team here.
0: So when did you relocate during the pandemic? Cause I know that, um, you spent a lot of 2020 living back at home in Miami throughout the pandemic, but did you start out March, 2020 in New York city? Yes.
1: So I had been living in New York for about a year and a half at that time. And a little, no, about two years at that point. And I was just in my new apartment that I was so happy to be in. I felt like I was moving in New York every, every time my lease came up, I I left and I finally felt like, okay, this is the place that I'm going to spend a couple of years. And then the pandemic hit, I'd been in that space for about like six months. And just like everybody else thought I'd be home for about two weeks. And um, the only reason, I think the only reason I was going to go back to was because my mom, my sister and I were supposed to take a trip. We were going to be in London because every year... I had to basically, my vacations were planned around my boss's vacation time. And so every year for her daughter's spring break, they would all go as a family away for two weeks. So that that was my big chunk of time off. And so I had taken two weeks off. Literally like March 14th was my first day off and the world shut down March 13th. So I was planning on going to London. My mom was like, you know what? London's not happening why don't you just come home for like a little since you already took the time off? And she was like, I have a feeling this is going to get wild. Like, why don't you just, why don't you, mother's intuition. She's like, why don't you just come home? And I'm like, okay, sure. So because I'm me and I am very organized and clean, I cleaned my whole apartment. I cleaned out my trash. I took out everything from my fridge because that's just what I do when I travel. And thank God, right? But thought I'd be gone for two weeks. They had told us March 30th would be back in the office. And it was really surreal thinking about it too because like when we got the, the go-ahead to go home, we were all sitting in a tiny conference room like watching a video conference. Uh, they had brought a doctor in to speak to all of the Nas executives and they were live streaming. it. So, like my boss was in that room with all the other execs and all the other uh, editor-in-chiefs and like all of us... Worker bees were like in one tiny little conference office, like uh, listening to this, and we're like, ooh, maybe we should like not be on top of each other right now.
0: Honestly, like, I'll hook, yeah. I'll the subway to get to work that day, like <laughs> we have totally talked about. We've talked about it so many times, like we're all gonna have that story of like here was the last like super gross thing that I did before the pandemic started that I didn't realize was super gross <laughs> at the time. Yeah. It, no. No. It, it's I think about
1: like getting on the subway every day and like touching the poles, and even then I wouldn't even touch it. With my hand I would like wrap my elbow around it but like still you cough into your hand you touch your face like we just right. someone's it. next to you
0: just breathing their air mm-hmm. like even just existing next to me is too much these days just, just <laughs> respirating I'm not into exactly. it you know exactly. I was in Southern California for a 90,000 person trade show that the co- company that I work for had to cancel the night before it started oh, like my set God. up but like I was across the street from Disneyland we were like oh if it's canceled can we go to Disneyland like looking back like Ew, ew, and I ugh, like the privilege that
1: I was ugh, existing, and like I was reading back some of my messages with a friend of mine the other day, talking about my trip to London getting canceled, and I was like, nah, I think my mom. I, I remember I said to them, my mom's just being difficult. Like it's fine. Like we're we're gonna end up going. It's fine. Like it's no big have- deal, right? Like, this is gonna no. blow over. Like March first, like around there, and and oh my gosh, and my office was just discussing too because Fashion Month had just happened, so like everybody had just come back from being in in they were in. Paris and then they all went to Italy of and they course. all came back to New York. So, like, everyone was sick. Like, I was sick when I came home. So, to answer your question, March 13th flew back to Miami, luckily, and thought I'd be there for two weeks, was there for almost 10 months, and then I moved to LA.
0: So, how long have you been in LA? I've been in LA since January. When you had that realization that working for Condé Nast maybe isn't the goal that you want to pursue anymore, you want to do your own thing, you really want to be talking about mental health, you said you you had started this IGTV series. Talk a little bit about about that and how that evolved into what you're working on now. Definitely.
1: So like I mentioned earlier, mental health has always been something that has been very, very important to me. And I always felt growing up so deeply misunderstood, especially when I would talk about how I was feeling. And I just really just felt really alone in that. And like, I couldn't talk about it with people and that if I would talk about it, people would just think I was crazy. And I just, I always felt very misunderstood in that space. And like I mentioned, when I was able to write for my friend's blog, they had asked me to write about my personal mental health experience. And I wrote about my experience at something called the Hoffman Process, which is basically this like week-long therapy retreat, which is like the best way that I can say it. And you basically go like no phone, no books, no distractions whatsoever. And for a full seven days, you are just unpacking every single pattern that you have and essentially... Rooting it back to your childhood and being like, did this come from mom or dad? Where did this come from? Unpacking it, then like rewiring your brain, sort of, and a lot of like guided meditations. Honestly, it was the best thing I ever did. It sounds that very sounds so intense. It was a lot. It, it's a lot because it's you're jam packing years of work basically into. Seven week, seven week, seven days. It's 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 very intense. I, I I definitely like. I always say. I think everyone should go to Hawkman. I think everyone should do it. You learn so much about yourself. You have you leave there with such compassion for your parents and for yourself, and so much forgiveness as well. But that said, there are like a couple people in my life that would be like, oh, you think so-and-so should go? And I'm like, honestly, no, because they've never gone to therapy and they've never done work on themselves. And I think it would be like toxic shock,
0: you know? Right. Like you don't go to the Olympics if you like have never been on a
1: jog. Right. So like I definitely recommend it for people who are already, even if you haven't gone to therapy, if you're already aware that there's something that you want to improve, then I think it's for you. It's just for those people that like feel like they're being forced into something that they don't want. Totally. Watch.
0: Right. Yeah. If you're not even like open to that awareness.
1: Exactly. So I had done Hoffman right when I graduated from school, from college in 2018, and I moved to New York to start working two weeks later. So it would like set me up for success. Honestly, I think nothing would have happened the way that it did if I hadn't done Hoffman. So when I wrote for this blog, that's I, I wrote about my experience. And of course, some of my friends knew I had gone. And this was almost two years after I had done Hoffman at this point. And most, but most people just didn't, had no idea. And I was really nervous to talk about my experience. And at this point, the people following me online were primarily people who knew me on a personal level. So that made me even more nervous to open up. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, these people can like attach a name to a story or like, you know, they, they know what I'm talking about, but I, just, it was so cathartic to write that article. And then to publish that article was like a whole nother level. And then after that, just hearing, like, that would have been enough for me to say, okay, this is what I want to be talking about. Because I feel like as a writer, we're always searching for that, Because once it's so funny, I talk to a lot of writers and everyone always says like, once you start getting paid for writing, it's no longer fun. And I've always just tried to search for that. You know, spark again. And, and I finally felt it again. And then on top of that, getting messages from people in my life that I knew and that I didn't know, just saying either A, thank you for talking about this, no, like not a lot of people that we know are, or B, I went through something similar. You know, thanks for making me feel not so alone. I was like, okay, wait, this isn't, no one's talking about this. And then on top of that, like I had felt such a intense stigma. When I had returned from Hoffman, when I started opening up about it, people like, you know, the narrative was Gabby cracked and her mom sent her to a, to a mental hospital. Like that, that was the narrative instead of being like, oh, I actually went to go work on myself. And this is like a really cool experience. Like that's
0: something that now in 2021, no one would say at least out loud. Right. But that's like the stigma that was, is, and I think it is still there, especially among different types of groups when it comes to talking about therapy and especially intensive therapy. Absolutely,
1: especially like in the Latin community. I feel like it just in in all minority communities, and I can only speak for the Latin community. But you know, we we definitely it exists. <laughs> it exists in the way that our parents were raised, and in the way that they raise us. And you know, I always say that I'm very lucky that my mom is very open about these things, but a lot of people aren't. So yeah, basically once I had written for, so to answer your question about, should we talk about it? Once the article came out in March of 2020, I knew that something had to shift and I just wanted to find my footing and find my voice. And I feel like my purpose on this planet is to tell stories and to help elevate other people's stories and and as well as my own. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this with writing. What's another way that I can do this? Okay. I can interview people and just record it. And I'm the type of person that doesn't like jump. I dip my toe in the pond before I jump all the way in. So that's why I people are like, just do a podcast. And I was like, Mm-mm, scary. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to upload it to Instagram. And so I started uploading these interviews that I was having with people in my life that I knew that worked in the same industry as me. And particularly, more influencer type people. Because in my opinion, I had been seeing a lot of things just from the expert perspective, which of course is deeply important. And whenever people come to me with specific questions or things, I always remind them I'm a peer turn to an expert. Like I, I always direct people in, in the direction of an expert. But at the same time, I think that it's so digestible and so humanizing to hear stories from quote unquote, normal people, especially these people who like have made a career off being on social media and have these like facades up and to sort of bring Break that wall down and ask them questions that they might not be asked or at least answer publicly, really, you know, lets their viewers see them in a different light and a very helpful light, I think. So I just started having those conversations on my personal Instagram. And then I just saw that there was something there. People were asking for more and I was enjoying it more and more. And then I, I created its own page and it was all very new to me and it just sort of grew very organically and and yeah I've sort of been searching for what the next iteration of should we talk about it will be I always knew that it was going to be like the the beginning and I was laying the foundation for something bigger, but I just didn't know what that was. And I think that's something that I wish I would hear more entrepreneurs talk about, especially because I am so young. And it's funny, like sometimes I don't tell people how old I am because I don't want them to think that I'm not as smart as I actually am or not as capable or resourceful or, you know, whatever it is. But then I remind myself like, no, embrace what you've been able to accomplish at, you know, I turned 25 last week. So embrace it. Um, but yeah, I always knew I was sort of laying the foundation with, should we talk about it, but everything has sort of happened organically and I'm allowing it to take that organic route. And now with this podcast, I, I think it's time to bring in a different perspective. So my co-host, she is a mental health expert and has worked in the mental health space for 10 years. And so it's interesting to have like the peer and expert perspective. And it's still like that same sort of conversational attitude of if we're going to be here to destigmatize and normalize and ask you to talk about your mental health, we know that we need to share our vulnerabilities and our stories first. Um, And that's what we're really trying to do with the podcast.
0: I was going to say like with you being 25 and you know, landing back kind a dream job pretty early and, you know, moving to New York City and having this sort of glamorous from the outside, seemingly very like glamorous, get whatever you want trajectory. It is really always so important to hear the other side of that, of like, and I'm doing all this work on myself and things haven't been easy. And we never talked about this when I was growing up. And my community is not accepting of this conversation around mental health and having both and that like, yes, you can be successful. You can get what you want. You can go out and get, you know, land that assistant job. You can start from scratch on a new project, you know, whatever the case may be while still having these really hard things that you're working on and having these insecurities. And I think we talk about this quite a lot. Um, Joy is a mental health therapist. She's been in the field for decades and we kind of have that similar dynamic of like, I just am sort of here you know, as the voice of like, I don't really like my feelings. I would prefer to not dive into them. I don't want to like dig stuff up from my childhood. If it is buried, like let it stay buried. I'm functioning just fine. (laughs) But then you do have those moments where you realize like, okay, what, you know, what you were talking about of having that first piece published where people started really coming out of the woodwork and identifying with it. It's that moment of connection of like, I thought I was the only one. And I think it's so, Awesome when you're having those conversations around mental health is that at least when I've experienced it, it goes both ways also. Like, you know, that you're creating that feeling of validation and connection for someone else, but it also helps you to feel like I also feel like, okay, I'm not alone. And it's, you know, it's great to be able to do that in service to a community, but it also can be so encouraging for yourself too to realize, like, okay, this is something that is really gonna get me somewhere. And it's something that like I've experienced this talking about postpartum depression where it's like, You kind of have this feeling of I now I feel like I owe it to other people to be the person who they can think well if they can talk about it then now I can start talking about it absolutely
1: absolutely and I think it's so important to point out too like I'm the last person to ever be like oh what was me look at all my problems like I'm the first person to check my privilege and to understand that I had a leg up in certain situations in in the sense that you know and it's funny whenever I hear people talk about you know where they got to their where where they got to where they are in their jobs or you know connections and this and that. It always comes like from the dad side, and for me, that was my mom. I mean, both my parents and their families came here from Cuba with absolutely nothing and had to build build what they had. And my mom has worked her ass off to get to where she is and to make sure that my sister and I have lived comfortable lives. And so, I'm not shy to say, you know, my mom is the one that put me through private school and that paid for my college. And that because of her support, I was able to move to New York every summer and have paid internships. Or sorry, unpaid internships, which is also absurd. And that that's a whole separate conversation of like the barrier to entry in these types of companies is ridiculous. And like starting salary somewhere like Kanye Nass is like completely unlivable. And that just disqualifies an entire population of people. But by the same token, I think because I've had all of these, you know, lucky experiences, I feel like I do not give myself enough credit. And that was something that I really learned at Hoffman was that everything is truly relative. And that's what I always try and talk about on my platform and on should we talk about it is that everything is relative, you know, to someone like me who I feel like I had a quote unquote, pretty good childhood to be sitting in a room with people at Hoffman, you know, who's Parents were addicts and abused them and passed away or whatever it was, these tragic stories that these people had. No one in that room looked at me and was like, calm down. Sweetie, like relax, like, you know, because everyone understands that I haven't lived that experience. I've only lived my own experience. So to me, this could feel like the end of the world, but to the person next to me, it's just like, you know, they gloss over it. So I always try and emphasize that, like, yes, understand how you got to where you are and check yourself when necessary. But at the same time, I am going to stand up and say, no, I'm very smart and I worked my ass off. And yes, my mom. Helped me be able to have those unpaid internships, but she didn't know anyone in the industry that I was going into. And every single connection I made was through a network that I built because I hustled and I stocked them on LinkedIn and I kept in touch with all my old bosses and I worked my butt off and I was a damn good assistant. And that's why I have the connections that I have. And, you know, I still work a ton and maintain those connections. so I, I I'm learning to give myself credit where credit is due because I think that I've allowed that privilege to then cancel out and negate everything else that I've worked for, if that makes sense. And so when I talk about mental health, like I always try and emphasize that, too, of like, everything is relative. You're allowed yes. to feel the feelings,
0: yeah. We talk a lot about comparative suffering, too, of like, you know, of course, There's someone, there's always gonna be someone out there that has it worse than you, but perception is reality. And while I feel like that phrase, when you say it, can feel a little like belittling because it just kind of makes it seem like, oh, well, you're just perceiving this. It's like, no, perception is reality. What I'm perceiving that I'm experiencing is what I'm experiencing. That's my reality. And that perspective is important. Yes, like it's always important to recognize other people have it harder, things could be worse, but that doesn't mean that what you're going through is easy or that things aren't hard. And I think that that's such an important perspective for us all to be reminded of. And especially women who I think really are so hard on ourselves to try to always push through that thing, not complain, you know, not be the squeaky wheel, not be the one to speak up and say like, I'm having a hard time because you don't want to be seen as being ungrateful or you don't want to be seen as complaining or you don't want to be seen as, you know, seeking attention, like whatever that BS is, you know, and I think that what you're describing around, hey, I know that I've had it easier than some, some people, but But things haven't always been easy. And also that doesn't mean that like it's just been a bed of roses this entire time. It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be, oh, my life's been really hard and I've like come up from the ashes. And it also doesn't have to be I've had a silver spoon this whole time. You know, like everybody's lives are a mix of those experiences. And I think that it's really interesting to hear from your experience. Somebody who, you know, I'm 33, Joy is 43. Most of our listeners are more in their 30s and 40s, kind of more of this like, what are we called now? Geriatric millennials? Uh, I think that was the what it is. I think that was the most recent LinkedIn headline and the fact that I'm getting my like social media news from LinkedIn probably tells you something about my life but and you know Joy I think is um, technically Gen X so kind of like it's just interesting to hear that you know this conversation is still so relevant even you know for anyone in I feel like right now especially like we've you know we've had this like TikTok thing where like we can't part our hair on the sides anymore and it can feel very separate you know like this big distinction between like oh the Gen Z like you know, and they're just fighting with the millennials about all the things that, you know, we have to cancel or whatever, but to hear like, no, we're all still really going through this similar process, not to like turn this into like an age thing, but it is just interesting to hear like your perspective of someone who has gone through this past year, really from a completely different lens than somebody like, you know, I have a family and been working from home. Joy is a therapist. She was still going in the office for you to be somebody who your life is really your day to day, life was really put on hold, you know, move back in with your parents and, or move back in with your mom. And now to have that big shift, but to hear that, like the thought process and those mindset and that awareness is still so universal. It's great to know that like those conversations are still happening and continuing to happen at earlier and earlier ages. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, it's so funny because I mean, first of all, I was born in 96, which technically is in between millennial and Gen Z, so I do not know how to identify, and I feel like I pull from both, and that's when I pick and choose, and I get picky of like
0: millennial, isn't that the thing? I don't know. I hear these; I, these are hashtags I get from LinkedIn, so don't talk to me about being <laughs> cool and knowing what's up.
1: I love a LinkedIn influencer. I love it. LinkedIn, is, guys, don't sleep on LinkedIn. I mean, it's it's really great. It's hysterical, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I yeah, I don't really know where to fall, but it is exciting for me to see the conversation. Just happening at least in terms of mental health, right? Like before, it was just like everything was just so deeply stigmatized. And while these stigmas obviously still exist, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing because they're not gone. Um, I think now, what we're facing aside from just like stigma is everyone's just capitalizing off of mental health. And that's what we see now is like brands just like slapping like a super tokenizing statement onto a hoodie and selling it for $130. Like, that's not that's not helping literally anyone or people not having, you know, trauma informed people on their team or, or licensed therapists on their team. And they're sending out deeply triggering, you know, messages to people, um, or just posting like shareable infographics that like help no one and could actually be really triggering someone, you know, like that's Something that my co-host Meadow and I always talk about because she's not licensed, but she is trained. And you know, she she the one of the companies that she works for, um, they have like a hotline that they that they do. And so Meadow runs that hotline for them. And so she's she's at least trauma informed in that way. And she still always points people in the direction of therapists and experts and and licensed professionals, I should say. But yeah, I I just think now it's just we see because people are talking about it, big businesses and they they just see a dollar sign now. My friends and I always joke, we're like self-care isn't a face mask even though the act of putting on the face mask can be your way of taking care of yourself that day and that's you know your skin routine you identify it as self-care the actual $40 face mask is not healing your trauma from your childhood you know like let's not ignore it let's actually unpack it and then maybe use that time to you know take a deep breath after you've done all the work and unpacked it you know
0: so you're in LA now. When were you? When did you know you were ready to leave Miami? Was it just like kind of when the pandemic started slowing down or did something really push you to LA?
1: So I've actually always wanted to come out here. Um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. I've always seen myself out here. I have family out here. My older half brother, complex family tree over here. He has lived here for, I think like the past 20 years. And so I grew up um, being able to visit him. And something about LA just always... Called me. And when I was graduating from college, I actually wanted to move out here, but knew that it wasn't realistic for the career path that I wanted to take. I knew New York had to be step one. And it's funny, my mentor at the time told me, Getting a job and what you want to do in New York is one obstacle. Getting a job and what you want to do in LA is two. Like, don't do it. And that just stuck in my brain. And so I knew I wanted to come here. I just honestly thought it would happen in my 30s. Like, I thought it would happen when I was, you know, quote unquote, established enough and climbed up the Connie Ness ladder enough. And then I'd be able to go off on my own and, and do my own thing and be out here. But the Decision, I think, to leave AD and the decision to leave New York, I think, were hand in hand. Because once I made that choice, and I made the choice that I didn't want to get another full time role at a magazine from Condé Nast, I was like, okay, there's there's no point in me going back. I've also never been someone who's really glamorized New York or romanticized it. I was like, I'm here to work. I love the hustle. I love the energy. I love that everybody there is working so hard just as you are. And you all understand each other on this weird level because everyone's stressed out all the time. But I was like, this, I'm living in a tiny apartment. I'm getting paid no money. Everything is really expensive and I'm really anxious every day on the subway. Like I'd, I'd rather not. So going back to Miami was sort of the reset that I needed. And I, it really hit me how much I missed just space. And yeah, once I, once I resigned, I was like, okay, my lease is up. I'm going to move everything out. And when the time is right, once I've you know made enough money from freelancing in the beginning and saved enough, because that was another great thing and another privilege that I had was I got to be home during the pandemic. I wasn't spending any money. And so I, I saved all of that and then was able to come out here and, and just start a new life, I feel like.
0: <laughs> With these new projects that you're working on, being in L.A., Does that really feel like the location is going to help you get that off the ground? Is it just sort of feel like serendipitous that all of these new beginnings are coming together? Or do you feel like, no, LA is where I need to be, you know, for X, Y, Z reasons? I
1: think all of the above. I think... In terms of just the landscape, I think LA has always been my speed that way where, you know, you have the mountains, but you still have the ocean and and you have space. I have a car here. Car, A car brings me so much safety. Just knowing that I have my own space to get from point A to point B just makes me feel a lot calmer. But in terms of career, I think since I've moved here, so many things have just been put into motion so much quicker. And I think that has to do with the type of place that LA is. And I think it also has to do with my networking style where I definitely find the people that I want to connect with and go for it and shoot my shot and, you know, do all those things. And that's something that I always, I talk to a lot of people who are graduating from school and are trying to get their first job. And that's always what I tell them. I'm like network, LinkedIn network, Instagram network. It's the best thing to do. So what I love about the energy here is that it really allows you to sort of Create your own path and pave your own road, and nobody looks at you funny when you're doing it. You don't have to explain it a hundred times. You know, you you tell them, you know, I'm I'm a freelance writer who talks about mental health and wants to help people in that world, and I'm still figuring out if I want to start a company, and you know, this, this and that. And they're like, oh, great, good for you. You know, no one's like, mm, well, what's your return on that? You know, like, what are you? You know, they they trust that you can figure it out and you can pave your own road because that's kind of what everyone else is doing here too. So it really has inspired me to work harder and to also believe in myself in a way that I didn't because a lot of my friends here that are around my age or even younger and are so, so successful at what they do at such a young age, it really reminds me that I can get things done very young and that's okay. You know, it's not just because I, you know, haven't reached a certain milestone in terms of years that I, you know, don't know well enough to know what I'm doing and to make the right decisions now.
0: And honestly, I mean, again, not to be like, I'm so much older and wiser than you, yeah. but like as somebody, you know, like I'm in my 30s again. Like, Joy's and for you, like that age-based self-doubt never goes away it just changes like you go directly from I'm too young to do this to I'm too old to not have started this already really yeah like there's no in between there's no you never feel and maybe there's some people out there who are like that's not true I experienced I woke up one morning and was like I have arrived at the age where I can achieve but I think really you go straight from like I'm too young no one's gonna take me seriously to like I'm too old to know what's going on and no one's gonna take me seriously I was
1: talking about it with a friend of mine who's 22 and she was telling me She is so successful period and then being so successful at 22 is a whole other thing And she's always tells me she's like I never tell people my age because they they don't take me seriously I'm, like that's so funny because before I used to love that people knew that I was 24 when I was still 24 because the reaction was oh my god, you're only 24 and you've done so much like it was that reaction and now that I'm 25 and I've literally been 25 for about a week, The, the what's hit me is this feeling of like, oh, are you're not sick? like so young anymore. <laughs> like, is it is it is it exciting that I'm doing? Am I still young? Do I still qualify of that? Or am I just like in this weird in-between zone? I, I was talking about it the other day to a friend of like, do you remember it? being in high school and being a sophomore in high school? No one cares about you when you're a sophomore. You're the irrelevant age. That's how I feel right now. That's
0: so funny. I feel like, yeah, maybe it's just like... From, I don't know, maybe when you eventually get older and you become like the, like Iris Apfel status where you're like, so just like iconic, like when do you go from just being middle-aged to just, to like icon age? That's the age I want to be at.
1: Of just doing whatever you want and no one can say anything because yeah, you're a person.
0: Which maybe that's every age and we just need to stop worrying about it. That's i think I think what it is, especially as
1: women like we're just we're told so many things all the time, we're always told to calm down and relax, and that we have to juggle four hundred things at once and be moms and you know have natural birth and then also have a full time job, and you know obviously things that you can speak to that I cannot but hope to one day. But yeah, it's just, I think that we need to step into our light more at any age. You know, I was, I talk with my guy friends and a friend of mine. This does not
0: affect them at all.
1: No, a friend of mine has been trying to negotiate a new role for himself at this company for about a year. And he always sends me his emails to proofread, (laughs) which is hilarious. And I love, and I'm grateful that I'm that friend. Yes. But. His emails are so wildly assertive that, like, I get heartburn reading them. And I'm like, I would never send this. And he's like, Kevin, you need to step up for your, like, oh my God. And I'm like, you never had someone knock you down 400 pegs and tell you to calm down and that you don't deserve to be in a
0: room. Like, I was appalled at his emails and he sent them. And is getting that promotion. And is getting it, yes, 1,000%. I have been talking about this with some coworkers who, you know, it's like, they're like, well, do I go for this promotion? What do I do? And I'm like, listen, the men that I know who would never second think for two seconds. Oh, well, you know, and I feel like there was a statistic that came out about this where women wait until they're like 90% qualified for a job listing before applying and men will do it after like 30%. Like they read the first three and they're like bachelor's degree, two to five years experience. I'm applying. And you're like, but you're an engineer. This is for like a design. They're like, I don't care. Two to five years of experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we just, women don't think that way. And we just need to. We have to. My sister is twenty eight and
1: she's in a role that she's been told a million times she's too young for. She told me when she when she got that, when she was applying, she was so nervous about it. And I was like, You're gonna get the job. You're gonna get it. You're so absurdly qualified that like this is no it's a no-brainer. And in her head, she was like, her mentor told her, You just have to start acting like a man. You have to start thinking like a man because no guy in your position would think, am I qualified enough? Are people going to take me seriously? They just wouldn't. It would never cross their mind because they never have heard those things before.
0: So they're not conditioned to think anything else. Exactly. There's no like voice in the back of their head because they've never had that. or And they've never heard like, I remember like, have you seen Mean Girls? Okay. Thank God. I just didn't, you know, I don't want to assume, you know, when they're standing in front of the mirror and she's like, I used to think there was only fat and skinny, but like now I know there's all these things that can be wrong with you. That's sort of how I sometimes feel and definitely felt when I was younger, where I would hear people say like, oh yeah. And then I overcame this self-doubt about X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh my God, we're supposed to be doubting that. Okay. Well, I guess I'll start self-doubting that then. You know, and then on the flip side, when you see someone out there and we talk about this a lot when it comes to like body image things, like, you know, when you see someone walking around with their stretch marks, with their belly hanging out, with their pale skin, you know, like with their, their unibrow, whatever the case may be. And they are not walking around being like, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. They just don't even mention it. Like it doesn't even register. And you're like, oh, do I have permission to not care about this? Then I guess, you know, if that person's not even noticing it about themselves, then I guess I'm going to stop worrying about it on myself, too. I feel like it's the same way with those imposter syndrome, self-doubt feelings. If you see someone else out there who's just going for it, it gives you permission to be like, well, if they're not worried about coming across as like being too outspoken in a meeting or if they're not worried about coming across as, you know, being attention seeking by going for the promotion, then Maybe that means I don't have to worry about that anymore either.
1: Exactly. I believe it was Ashley Graham, you know, Ashley Graham, the supermodel. So I, gosh, I want to say it was her. I know I was listening to her, but I hope that she actually said this and I'm not just making this up in my head. But I'm pretty sure that I remember an interview of hers where she was talking about not enjoying when people call her the plus size model because she's like, I'm just a model. You're, you're pointing it out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a model. I'm a supermodel. I do the same thing the girl next to me is doing, right? And so it's, it's exactly what you said of like, Pointing out the quote unquote flaw that then we're like, oh, I didn't even notice. Let me add that to my list of insecurities. Thank you so much. Cause the world hasn't already done enough.
0: Yeah. Or like the new conversation lately where it's like, don't call me like a CEO, don't call me a mompreneur. Like, Call me the owner and founder of this business. Call me an entrepreneur. Call me the founder. You know, call me a CEO. Like, I'm not like a female founder. I'm a founder. You know, like, don't call me the, you know, whatever X, Y, Z. Like, don't qualify it. Don't take me out of the default. Exactly. And I read something recently that I love that was like, if we didn't, if like, we could get away from centering men, then it would be the national basketball association and the men's national basketball association. It would be the hockey, like the national hockey league. And then the men's national hockey league, it would be, you know, like instead of obviously the women, you know, the WNBA, the WNHAL, like I mean, and an it and a, no, nope, I don't do sports. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like if you, you know, st- if you didn't make it so that it was like the default, we all understood to be the men's league and then you also had the women's version. What if the default, we all understood to be the women's version and then you had the men's version. And it was like, if this, if reading this or thinking about this made you uncomfortable or blew your mind, think about why that may be that like you have just, it's so automatic for you to center men in that experience that it feels like writing with your opposite hand to think about the women's version being the default. It's just, yeah. I mean, the thought um, experiments are endless. Yes,
1: definitely. It's just, and then, you know, thinking about it too, you know, I I grew up with a mom who is an entrepreneur and she was the only woman in every room she was in. And it's very, very interesting to watch the way that she runs her company and watch what an emphasis she places on hiring other women, but also just the reputation that she has in Miami. You know, she's a shark. She's a, you know, she can be a bitch. Like she could, you know, it's this narrative. Word that you wouldn't say about a man, you'd be like, "Oh, he's a beast! Like he's such a baller! Like good for him!" You know, you would never ever deem them anything else. But she has to put on, or feels as though she has to put on this this persona because if not, she's not taken seriously. Which is just so important. Yeah,
0: it's, and I think it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, generation generationally how that changes if it changes. I think there's still so much resistance. And I also think that, you know, it does come down to the women in those positions kind of owning it. And again, you know, saying, I don't want to be a quote unquote CEO or whatever the case may be. But for a lot of women, that makes it feel more comfortable. Like I am more able to be more comfortable with my success if it's a a little bit qualified. Yeah, definitely. Because like that's the role that I feel that I, And like on the flip side, you know, why not emphasize that you're a woman in that role? Why not, you know, lead with that? And I think that that's valid too, if that's what feels true to you. But yeah, I think it'll just be really interesting to see kind of how that changes. Um, And then of course, we're going to have like the whole fallout from the pandemic and so many women leaving the workforce and... That's its whole other podcast episode. Oh my gosh. Yes.
1: I'm actually very curious to see the numbers, you know, after we're able to really study this from a different perspective of how many men that were unfortunately laid off ended up staying like stay at home dads versus women.
0: Right. Versus women who had to leave their jobs. To take care of their children. Right.
1: And Not. that their kid could literally continue an education.
0: Yeah. I mean, my husband's a nurse and when he, you know, in the thick of COVID, he was working on the COVID unit. You know, I work from home. and work in marketing. Like we were lucky enough to have an au pair who had moved into our house in January 2020. And that was just like, you know, an amazing freak situation we found ourselves with. If we had not had that, I would have had to quit my job to watch the kids. Right. Because what else are you supposed to? Right. Because he's not working from home. You know, he's going to the hospital every day. He's taking extra shifts. He's working overtime. He's working in other hospitals. And I'm here, you know, trying to be on meetings with my, like at the time, one year old, you know, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's, um. it'll be really interesting to see in the coming years kind of how things weave themselves back together. Mm-hmm. And then you're also in a, in
1: a position where your husband is actually saving lives, right? Right.
0: I mean, ours is a little bit of an extreme, like, and he was, you know, on the front lines doing the thing. But, you know, even if for whatever reason, it just, it, I feel like that that default role, women are the default for so many things, right? Absolutely. Okay, so I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I know that we're coming up here on the hour. So I want to just hear a little bit more about your podcast that's in development. Um if you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, what you're excited around that podcast. I know you've talked to me a little bit about your co-host Meadow, which I love that her name is Meadow. That's like so LA. Um I don't even know if she lives in LA, but I'm just projecting that onto her. San Diego, but yes, California. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys kind of kicking off with? Yeah, so we
1: haven't announced the actual date yet just because you never you never know when things are happening, but mid June 2021 is what we're going with as of right now. But yeah, we're both we're both really excited about it. I'm just excited to continue to have these conversations on a regular basis, and to honestly, selfishly, it's so fun to get to hear other people's experiences and and meet all these really incredible women and and people in general. Um, I always said that should we talk about it, I just respected every single person that came on the podcast on the show so much, and I'm going to feel the same with whoever comes on the podcast. I'm going to have such a deep respect for them because they're opening up in a way that they're not used to and that's very different for them. And so anyone who's taking the time out of their day to talk about themselves in a different light, I'm just appreciative of. So I'm just I'm very excited with that and I'm excited to learn from Meadow as well and and become more well versed in actually providing helpful solutions. I think that's the number one thing that I'm always trying to do is yeah, it's it's you know, it's nice to have conversations and to humanize us and while I do think that you know, highlighting that invisible string that connects us all, that's our mental health is deeply important. It's also, you know, we were talking a lot about privilege in, in today's conversation. And that is always sort of at the forefront and allowing mental health to become way more accessible. Like it, it it's heartbreaking that mental health still taking care of your mental health right now is... A privilege. And while it shouldn't be, it still is. You know, we can't say, I can't say that, you know, me getting to go to therapy at noon on a Wednesday is common. You know, when a single mom taking care of her kids and having to put food on the table and still going to work, like a smoke break might literally be her self care. It might be her form of, of, you know, taking care of her mental health. So that's what I'm excited about with the podcast is just continuing the conversation and continuing to hopefully provide helpful resources to people and to continue to destigmatize this narrative and, and, encourage people to take care of their minds because our mental health really does trickle into every other aspect of our of our lives. You know, how are we going to be good parents? How are we going to be good partners? How are we going to perform well at work if up here mentally we're not we're not clicked in. We're not doing great. So, I always just try and remind people in my personal life and and now with the podcast that we got to tap into that first because it trickles down into everything.
0: And where can people find you and eventually your podcast? Yes. So
1: people can find me on Instagram. I'm at Gabby Ulloa underscore. So it's G-A-B-Y-U-L-L-O-A underscore. And you can find the podcast at Thoughts May Vary Pod. It'll also be linked in my bio of my personal page, should you be confused.
0: Awesome. And we will add your personal Instagram to the show notes. And then When your podcast is ready, we will let our listeners know about it. Our listeners know that when, if you have any questions ever about seeking out mental health, please just email us. Joy, as you all know, is a licensed mental health therapist. She is happy to help you find or navigate that system. We have a highlight on our Instagram called therapy, which just highlights some very, very basics of if you are looking for a new therapist, how to get started, how to find different pricing options, how to find low cost options if you don't have insurance Um, So check that out. Always email us. We are always, always more than happy to help. If you have ever emailed us in the past and we haven't gotten back to you, as we say it all the time, please feel free to reach back out. And we're so glad to, Gabby, I'm really excited to hear that you guys are starting this podcast, entering this space and going to be encouraging people and, you know, spreading stories of different mental health experiences. I think that's so important. And I'm really grateful that you took the time today to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. And listeners, you can find us at at underscore on Instagram. Email us. This is joyandclare at gmail.com. We will talk to you next week.